0: You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam.
1: Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That is going to be fun. No jetpack required. And thus we shall always be with the lord we shall always be with the lord i'm looking i mean if jesus comes while well, i'm still holding on to this mortal body i'm looking forward to that event that is going to be a good time amen father we thank you that we shall remain with you forever that you have thought beforehand about the retrieving home your saints we're looking forward to the time, of We're looking forward to the time of reunion. We're looking forward to that time when we get to to be with you forever. But Father, until you send your Son back to reap the harvest, let us be instruments of the harvest. Let us be sowers of the word. Let us. Be the ones who bring forth the kingdom message. Give us the wisdom. Give us the words. And continue to anoint us with the power that signs and wonders would follow us everywhere we go in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory be to God in the highest. Thank you, Lord. Well, let me start again with the final. Uh, that we're, we've been asking, Eric. I don't think this mic is gonna, gonna cut it. Did we ever find the other lapel with the clip? Uh, I don't want the held. I'd rather have pauses than the hand. I did that on the missions field for a long time. I just. We'll let them. They'll find the lapel mic, with the clip on it. We'll just switch over real quick. I want to start with These questions uh, that we have. All right. This is going to be like NASCAR gonna be a quick pit stop here. Number one, I asked if this current plague was a sign of the beginning of the end. And number two, I asked what about the plague in 1917 and 18 that actually lasted till about 1921 and the other five major plagues that we've had to endure since 1980? What about the environmental changes, the hurricanes, the typhoons, the tornadoes, the earthquakes? And the tidal waves. And the fires. And what about the state of wars and the rumors of wars? And what about the state of God's church and His people? Now, we talked about the plagues. We talked about wars. We talked about earthquakes, tidal waves, hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes, and major fires. We've taken all those those on, and we looked at many of the statistics we looked at these seasons, these events, and how these statistics relate to where we are today. And one of the things that I think I gathered uh, from, from the statistics and the time frames and the time periods is that these things continue to occur. These things, these disasters, continue to evolve. You know, in Matthew 24, 6 through 8, let's read this again. I know we read it before. It says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And we went all the way back before Jesus was born. And looked at the fact of of these major conflicts, these major wars, and and there must have been rumors, there must have been accounts, there must have been people who, um, through various means, let people know about these great uprisings that were occurring it says, see that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. You know, I remember back when we had the uh, the Cold War and the you know the the reports of the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Bay of Pigs and you know we came out through Vietnam and, and into Iraq and Afghanistan and you know it's been War after war for us, America. But as we look, all these things that affect us, are they precursors to the return of Christ? America is not specifically named in the Bible. I mean, we pull one scripture out of the book of Daniel that referred to uh, an eagle rising. You know, and that's about the closest I've seen anybody come to being able to correlate America to biblical prophecy. But maybe it's the nation of Israel, for whom the majority, if not all, of this Bible is written about. Maybe it's the wars and the rumors of wars related. To Israel, that will be a sign of the last times. God's nation couldn't have been put in a more treacherous location between all of the uh, Arab nations, the Northeast African nations, Russia, Asia. I mean, it is in the center of a perilous place. But it says, hey, don't be troubled. For these things must come to pass, but the end isn't yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. See, these are only the signs that signify the beginning. But how long is the beginning? How long does that chapter last? Did that chapter start when Christ came? Did it start before He came? Did the beginning start after the apostles passed? We don't know. And there's nothing that can tell us. We don't know that we may be in the beginning. One thing about God, He is not bound by time. I mean, when we look at creation, there's three, when I teach uh, university classes on, on creation, I talk about three different probabilities relating to the creation story. And one is that as Peter had mentioned, a a thousand days uh, is as one day to God. So therefore, the creation of mankind could have happened in six days or 6,000 years. I mean, that's plausible because with God, He can do anything. But it could be that the planet isn't six days old when it was made, and it wasn't 6,000, but it was millions of years old. Because one day is as a 1,000 years. Well, that just means one day is as a long time with God. And some people go, well, you know, how can can the earth be only 6,000 years old, and how can you reconcile for dinosaurs? Well, because maybe it's millions of years old. Maybe it is billions of years old. I mean, we know traveling at the speed of light, it takes 93 billion years to just get across the the universe that we know. Not the entire universe, just the universe that we know. 93 billion years. So it's easy to reconcile dinosaurs and grand canyons and, and mountains and tectonic uh, shift when you look at the Bible from various views we don't know when the beginning was but we may be in it but it may be that we're not even in it and just the things that we're experiencing are groans earth, you know, labor pains of the earth that, that the beginning of trials and tribulations the kingdoms rising against kingdoms and nations against nations maybe it has not fully begun Because these disasters that we see that I remember growing up and listening to Hal Lindsey and and some of these guys, that that, that, these disasters were surely a sign that we are entering into the end times. But could it just be that we're experiencing an increase in the population of this earth and that now we are living places where there were things that we now consider disasters but they were just normal occurrences and events. I mean you take the floods, the hurricanes and the great floods here in in the United States. Or you take the tornadoes that rip across the Midwest. I've never understood it. When you see a guy getting interviewed and he says, man I can't believe it, this tornado came through and it just just ripped our place down. He says it's such a tragedy. I can't believe God would let this happen just like it happened when, four years ago when we rebuilt the place when the last tornado took it down. I'm like, you ever thought about moving where you put in your house? You know, who knows that it hasn't been millions of years that tornadoes have been ripping right down that, straight down that alley. Though, because our population's becoming denser, there's more houses being built in places like that. We're building on coastal lines where hurricanes are going to raise floodwaters. Our disasters really increasing or is it our population and our spreading out over the earth? Or maybe it's simply the news media and the access to things like social media, Facebook and, you know, Pinterest and YouTube and all these things. When a tidal wave happens, you know, I remember when I was growing up, we talked about tidal waves because we lived on the ocean. We lived on the Pacific Ocean. And we talked about these things, tidal waves and stuff, but we never saw one. They always warned us, "Man, if the if the water goes out unexpectedly fast, get out." You know. But now, because of Facebook, you know, a tidal wave happens in Indonesia, and you know about it as it's happening. But are these disasters increasing? This Pacific Rim, where the San Andreas Fault and it wraps all the way up in in, in around into Russia and down through Japan. These plates have been rubbing against each other for thousands and thousands and maybe millions of years, shaking and shifting the earth. I mean, when the only thing that was in California was was redwoods and uh, sandy beaches, did anybody care when there was a 9.0 earthquake? No, but now we've built huge cities, and so when these things occur... They become major disasters, and people look to heaven and say, Why, God, is this the beginning of the end? I just think that sometimes our population, the things that we do, make these destructive events more noticeable. I remember I had a pastor 30 some years ago. He was so convinced that Jesus was coming in 20 years. He used to say to me, Don't you believe that Jesus is coming in the next 20 years? I mean, all of the signs, all of the feelings, all, you know, and for me, I was like, I I just don't sense it. You know, I mean, I just don't sense it. And I'm really hoping Jesus doesn't come in 20 years. Because I don't only want my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, but I want my great-great-great-grandkids, my great-great-great-great-great-grandkids to be in heaven with me. For generations and generations, I want to have an opportunity for for revival to to finish the harvest that was started 2,000 years ago. But remember, when these things do come to pass, when these these greater afflictions come upon the earth, when nations do rise up against nations, and, and this time of peace and prosperity ends, it's just the beginning. But I believe that there's also a human component involved in this. See, Satan's ultimate goal is not to subdue the planet. His ultimate goal is not to control the earth. His ultimate goal is destruction and captivity of God's creation. That's what Satan's ultimate goal is. He could care less about this earth. I mean, God could have, God could have sent him to the moon, you know, or, or Jupiter. He wouldn't have wanted it any more than he wants the earth. But what he wants is God's creation because he's still angry at God for his sin. And so you are going to see that there is going to be a continuation of trials and tribulations. And at some point, it's going to ramp up when the heavenly and demonic hosts come to an apex of their battle. We are going to see a stirring, and uprising in events. Go with me to Matthew 24. I want to read verses 9 through 15. 9 through 15. It says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Now that surely hasn't happened. I mean, they, they, they curse at us and they call us hypocrites and they make fun of us until they have a need, until there's a disaster, or until there's a problem that they can't fix on their own. And then many will be offended. We'll betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. I mean, this has happened. I mean, this has been happening for some time. I mean, when this pandemic thing hit South Korea. I didn't realize there was a church over there of like 25,000 people where the, the I don't even know what they call him, the, the, the minister guy had proclaimed that he was Jesus Christ in the flesh. And when the pandemic started, he told all his people to continue to come, all of them pack in here to church. And there was a massive outbreak of the COVID through his congregation. And he had to get up in front of the entire country and apologize for his ignorance and stupidity. I mean, there's going to be many false prophets. There's going to be many who, who, who claim that they are somebody that they're not. And because of lawlessness will abound. Now, this isn't talking about people speeding, people robbing banks. This is talking about people not adhering to God's word. Lawlessness, people who continue to break the commands and the law of God. And there will be lawlessness and it will abound The love of many will grow cold. They will begin to become selfish. But he who endures to the end, he shall be preserved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all the nations. And then, but not before, the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel in Daniel 1211. You can go read it for yourself. We're going to talk about it in coming weeks. Standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. There is signs, and we're going to get more into some of those signs that will help us. But this brings us back, this brings me back to the fifth question that I asked. What the state of God's church and his people. The state of God's church and his people. See how? Is the world going to end? Can anyone really predict when it's going to happen? How bad will things get before Jesus comes back? But most importantly, when will it be? Will it be signified by a date? Or will it be signified by a condition? And I think this is really uh, where this question about the church and God's people. Will it be signified by a condition? Go with me to John chapter 4, verse 35. John 4, 35. Do not say there's still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. See, the mission field is abounding before us. And I think in many ways the church has lost sight of why we are here. In 1 Timothy 2.4, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Who desires, talking about God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth? When Paul was writing to Timothy, he is saying it's God's desire that people come into the kingdom. And is this the the thing that is going to precipitate the coming of Christ. Maybe it's not a date. Maybe it's whether the church wakes up and becomes who God has called it to be. Are we really ministers of reconciliation? So can a predictive marker of the coming tribulation and rapture be related to the state of kingdom growth? God who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Is he really ready to allow 2 billion people to go to hell to come and make a church? See, there are two types of growth. There are quantifiable or numerical growth. And as ministers of reconciliation, that's what we're doing. We're out trying to increase the kingdom We're trying to grow the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. See, God saw that you were a sinner. God saw that you were living contrary to his word, and yet he did not hold that against you he still invited you into his family. Jesus said, take of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He knew that we were struggling with the burdens we were carrying, and yet he did not impute that sin upon us. Rather, he invited you into the kingdom to become a minister of reconciliation to help fulfill the quantifiable portion of the work. But I think just as importantly, or probably even more importantly, there is a quality, not only a quantity, but there is a quality or an intimacy count. There is a a joining with, a fellowshipping with God, a, a quality of the relationship that the church has with God. I mean, you remember the story of the wedding feast. I mean, Jesus, you know, the five wise virgins who did what they were told to do. They brought oil in their lamps. And when the bridegroom came came into the wedding, but when the five who who had been doing their own thing thought, hey, we'll take care of that oil thing later, the bridegroom will come, it'll all be good. But when they came, he rejected them I think that there is an intimacy there is a quality of the relationship of the church that is missing we have gotten so excited about people saying the sinner's prayer we have not made disciples we've got so excited about the quantitative the ministry of reconciliation and, and uh, I mean I have seen I've seen ministers go Well, if you just say, Jesus, I accept you as Lord of my life, you'll be saved. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're saved. And that's it. And walk away. How is that making disciples? How is that establishing people? How is that people welcoming people into the kingdom of God? Where's the relationship? I think that there is a, a quality relationship. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. And it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her, talking about the church, with the washing of the water by the word. You know, there are churches out there, word in them. I I have literally tuned in to radio programs, I have seen television programs and listened and had to turn the thing because there was no word. Just some guy or lady up there giving their opinion about what they thought about God. It's the Word that establishes us. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. And He is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. His Word never returns void, but always accomplishes what He pleases washing by the regeneration of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. See, it's his desire that he might be able to do this. It's his desire that the church would wake up and cleanse itself with the word of God. Stop walking in fear and start walking in faith. Start trusting and relying on, on God for everything that we have and start being a witness to the world. I'm not talking about just passing out tracts. Make your life, make your life a witness to the world. No wonder the world isn't interested. Most of the church is as broke as it is, as in debt as they are, as sick as they are, Been divorced as many times as they have. See, Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming for a bride. He's coming for us. He is planning on returning to a glorious bride, not a basket case. He is not looking to come back to Bridezilla. He's looking to come back to a humble, on-fire church that is living the Word and is an example. He is coming back to a glorious bride that will provoke Israel to salvation, that will provoke the Jews. I mean, Jews are not envious of the church's financial condition. That's why they own the diamond stores and the gold stores and all the rest of the stuff. And we're out here shoveling dirt working in grocery stores, swinging hammers, all the stuff that we do. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I'm saying that that, that the finance thing should be the thing that is captivated by the church. But we have allowed the lie of the enemy to keep us from becoming the glorious bride that he desires. We are called to provoke Israel. Romans Romans 11... Fourteen. Go with me to Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 10. See, Jesus is looking for a church that's willing to prove Him. Looking for a church that's willing to do what He says. And here He says, Because you have kept my commandments to preserve, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He is looking for those that He can surround with His love, with His protection. He's looking for those that He has intimacy with. He's looking for the ones that can say, into you, I see. I'm having intimacy. I'm I'm looking into your heart and you're looking into mine. We're having relationship. He's looking for those. Will the church rise up and become that glorious bride that is intimate with the bridegroom. Over in Matthew 6, 34, we're told not to worry about tomorrow. See, when we start to seek intimacy, when we start to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, when we start to seek His way, when we start to see that problems are still going on around you. But you know what? You're safe in the arms of the one you're intimate with. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow tomorrow will worry about itself, its own things, sufficient for its own day of trouble. You don't have to give it any more credence. You don't have to build it up. Don't worry about it. Jesus said, just stay intimate with me. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for those who will be intimate with him. Because there are going to be trials and tribulations in this world. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be fires. There's going to be hurricanes. There's going to be tornadoes. But we're not supposed to focus on the evil, the trouble, or the wickedness. We're not to worry because we're seeking our intimacy with Him. But since we don't know the day or the hour, don't you think it would be good like like we thought it was going to be this evening? I mean, shouldn't we be living our life like Jesus is coming back tonight? But yet prepare as if it's going to be a thousand years. Be ever watchful for the signs. 2 Timothy 4, 5 says, Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Endure problems. Do the work of an evangelist. Get out there and be a minister of reconciliation and fulfill what I have called you to do as a believer. See, the time for the church is now. It's time for us to be holding fast to biblical truth. Because it is true, the end times are coming. I can't tell you when they are, but I really think that that Jesus is looking for a bride that he can come back to and be intimate with. And I think it's going to be part of of the timing of the event is that the church is ready to become married to the bridegroom. We need to hold fast to biblical truth. In 1969, Billy Graham preached a message exclaiming, that there will be scoffers in these last days. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible describes these scoffers as people who will follow their own sinful desires while mocking the truth of Jesus' return, as though it'll never happen. Reverend Graham went on to explain, people will say, oh yeah, God is dead. We can't find God anywhere. We took a trip into space and we didn't meet God we didn't meet angels while we were there. And there are going to be other scoffers. They will scoff at the idea of a future judgment, scoff at the idea of Jesus Christ coming back to this earth again. They'll laugh at the whole idea. And there is, there is a society that is mocking. I heard a governor of one of the largest states in the United States say, don't tell me what God did. We resolve this issue with this coronavirus by our doctors and by our knowledge and by our sufficiency in ourselves. There are scoffers already. They may laugh at the whole idea, but it doesn't change the facts. Jesus is coming back. There will be a day of judgment. If you were to travel into space and in the process didn't see God, you weren't looking for him. If you traveled into space and didn't encounter angelic hosts, you weren't looking for them. I think many times people see or don't see what they want. They're blinded and they like it that way because there's no accountability. There is a time, I believe that it is time for the church. In Daniel twelve four, the Lord told Daniel, Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. As we approach closer each day to the end of this age, this world is running to and fro. It has been slowed down, but think about it. A 100 years ago, it had taken you six months in a wagon with horses to go from the East Coast to the West. And now in 15 hours, you can be halfway around the world. And people are flying in the millions and millions every year, going to and fro, becoming more self-reliant and less reliant on God. Why? Because knowledge continues to increase. Right now, I, I looked it up online because last time I had checked, the world's knowledge was was doubling about at the rate of every four years. They are saying now that the world's knowledge is doubling every 12 months, and they say that they can envision at the rate of knowledge growth that it'll soon be that the knowledge of the world will be doubling every month. The things that they know the things that they're discovering, the things that that they can identify. Daniel is not talking about a testimony of the church. He's speaking about the unredeemed world. It's time for the church to settle down. Not talking about not taking a trip, but to, to get intimate with God. We don't have to fly all over the world to find our contentment. Our contentment should be everywhere that we are. Everything that we do. The peace of God that passes all understanding should guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus everywhere we go. This great hope, that that peace... Is abiding on the inside of us. And I really believe that it is one of the next one of the phases that is missing, one of the next great phases that will perpetuate and and, and be a sign for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is that the church is going to rise up, the revival will start in the heart of man, that man will become serious about their relationship with God and trusting in Him and His Word. Because there is great hope. There is great hope for the world. For the church in the world, Revelations 19.11. I'm going to read this from the Amplified. It says, After that I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse appeared. The one who was riding it is called faithful, trustworthy, loyal, incorruptible, and steady, and true. And he passes judgment and wages war in righteousness, holiness, justice, and uprightness. That's what we, as a church, need. That's the war that, you know, we're fighting the good fight of faith. It is fought with truth. It is fought with incorruptibleness. It is fought with holiness, justice, and uprightness. And we cannot fight that good fight without the Holy Spirit. We cannot fight that good fight without being rooted and grounded in God. We cannot fight that good fight without an intimate relationship with God. But there's hope. There's hope for this world. Let me conclude it with saying this. First, we have to develop our intimacy, folks, as the church. We have to continue and get serious about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Check what we're doing, the motivation, the the purpose, the, the why. Why are we doing what we do the way we do it? What is our motivation? Are we seeking God's plan? Are we seeking His will? Number two, are are we loving our neighbors into the kingdom? Are we being an example or a witness? Are we trying to condemn them from hell? You know, Jesus didn't have to condemn anybody. He met a Samaritan woman at a well. And she said, what are you doing talking to me? Did you know I'm a Samaritan? And he said, man, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water and I would give you water, and you would never thirst anymore. See, he was looking for how can I have intimacy. He read her her whole story. That's why it's important that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the word of knowledge be in operation in our life, that we can communicate the love of God, not looking to condemn people. Sinners know they're sinning. You know, before I got saved, nobody had to tell me what I was doing was wrong but I did it anyway. I mean, where is the wisdom in that? I mean, think about it. Sinners know they're sinning. They don't need you to tell them. What they need is you to show the love of God. And that'll pour out of you as we deepen our relationship and intimacy. And the third thing is we need to be vigilant. That means never turning back, never letting down. There are no days off in the kingdom. There are no days that we can say, hey, today, not walking in love. I've decided to take a day off from love. There's no days like that in the kingdom. We need to be vigilant. We need to continue to pursue righteousness. We need to continue to be ministers of reconciliation. And I will assure you, you will have an opportunity to witness when you don't want it many times I just wanted people just to leave me alone I had things going on I was having a bad day and somebody said something and I could just tell right now you just got to stop because this person is hurting they need a word of encouragement but Lord you know what I got to do you know what's going on you know I got to be so we got to be diligent as ministers of reconciliation and we've got to look for the opportunities that, that the Holy Spirit puts in front of us For the fields are truly white with harvest. He goes on to say, Pray the Lord of the harvest that He send laborers. He needs you. He needs you. He needs all of us. He needs laborers for the kingdom. Because I really believe that part of the perpetuation of the return of Christ is the church becoming ready to be the bride that God has called us to be. So it's time. It's time for you. To come into the kingdom. It's time for you to enter into a deeper intimacy with God. I mean, it starts with a relationship with God. I didn't make this up. It comes from the Bible. Jesus said, Except a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. He cannot experience the kingdom of God. He can have no relationship with the kingdom of God. In fact, as the word says, your name is blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. And yet he said that he came into the world. That through him, you would be saved. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to have a relationship with you. He came to be reconciled, to be intimate with each one of us. Today, you've never established an relationship. I'm not talking about a religious experience. I'm talking about an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who came and paid the price for the sin and, and, and the shortcomings in your life, the problems. He paid the price for you. So that you wouldn't have to experience and live with them any longer. The Apostle Paul says it this way if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And so I want to give you an opportunity to become part of the family of reconciliation, part of the family of God. There's no forms to sign. There's just a heart to open up. For with the heart, man believes. And with the mouth, it says that your confession is made unto salvation. So if you prayed this prayer with me this morning, I'd love to lead you into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say, Father in heaven, I receive today your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. I believe that He died for me and that He rose again. And He's forever living as my Savior and High Priest of my faith. I am now born again a child of God because I have made Jesus Lord of my life.
0: You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Witwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, if I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321 or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona 85296.